the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. It is April the 2nd. What a great month. What a great weather we have out there right now. I hope you have time, if not today, maybe this weekend, to get out and go do some things with the family. What a beautiful world the Lord has blessed us with. What a great place to live here in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. Love it here. Well, today I want us to talk a little bit about what heaven is is going to be like. Now I want to start with, with this. <clears throat> a little boy got on an, on an elevator with his dad. This is at the Empire State Building. They were going up to that uh, observation deck. If you've never been there, that this great observation deck where you can see out across the city is awesome. So they were going up. They got in the elevator. They begin to go up, and the boy is watching the numbers go by on the digital screen. And it's going up. It hits ten. And after a while. 20, and then after a while, 30, 40, 50, and higher and higher. And the boy started to get a little antsy, and a little nervous, and bouncing around. And finally, he looks up to his dad and he says, Daddy, does God know we're coming? <laughs> well, I want us to talk about what heaven is like. And the first thing that I want to point out is that God knows that we are coming. Jesus tells us in John 14 verse 2, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. God knows we're coming. And he has, he has prepared a room just for you and me. And we could go to the, you know, today we could go to the nicest resorts or the most expensive hotels on the face of this planet, and we would never experience such a wondrous, glorious room as the one that God has set aside just for you and me. And many folks want to go there. In fact, almost every religion has some concept of what heaven is going to be like. Paradise, Utopia, Nirvana, Bahala, Zion, City of David, on and on and on. All kinds of, of names or even descriptions of, of some sort of another about heaven. And the reason heaven is so universally believed is because he, God, this is Ecclesiastes 3.11, has also set eternity in their heart, in your, mind heart, eternity. In other words, we know, deep down inside, we know this is not it. This is not everything. There's, there's so much more to life than just, just this. We know that. And this I... There's just got to be more. God has put that in there. And also, he is a, it is a place of reward for those who love him. 
And of course, there's a place where God punishes those who don't. What will heaven be like? Oddly enough, the Bible doesn't really tell us all that much. In fact, Paul implies that when he got to see the third heavens, you remember that from 2 Corinthians 12, he was caught up into the third heavens, and he tells us there uh, that he heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. And he's uh, told to close up all the things he saw. He's not allowed to tell, tell anybody about it. Now, other religions have very explicit descriptions of heaven. The Quran, very detailed description of, of its paradise, a, a place filled with all kinds of things. I won't get into all that. Uh, the Buddhists have uh, many paradises. There's one for every Buddha that has uh, come, or, come along, and each one has their own personal heaven. And in addition, there are various gods and goddesses that inhabit a series of heavens, all of their own. And I could just, you know, just go on and on of all the various religions and their descriptions of what heaven would be like. But Christianity says comparatively very little about heaven outside of some cryptic statements about what will and what won't be there. And you've got to expect that because no matter what you and I may think of heaven, our imaginations are just a pathetic shadow of the reality of what it's all going to be like. Now, if you were to ask me, Chris, what do you think heaven is going to be like? Well, in my mind, I envision myself being in a log cabin. Outside, there's no snow. It never snows. Nice river running by where I can fish. I'll have my fishing poles sitting on the side of the house there. I'll be sitting down on a nice, comfortable chair. On one side of my chair, I got some deviled eggs. And on the other side, a bowl of manna. You know, the manna that came down from heaven during the, the, four, uh, the years of wandering. I want to know what that tastes like. So I got that on the other side. And up on my wall, I got this real big, flat-screen, LED, 4K screen, you know, TV. And I'm watching all the reruns of when God created the earth, the six days. When God and Adam talked with one another. When Moses met God on top of the mountain. What it looked like when the law was delivered. Joshua, when the sun stood still and he was the conquest of heaven. The, the day of the flood. You know, all the things that I've always wanted to see. Meshach, Reshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown in the furnace. All these things. I'd love to see that. But all of my imaginations of what heaven will be like cannot even touch the glory, the majesty, the awe of what we will feel when we get there. But here's the deal. The Bible doesn't get very descriptive about heaven. It doesn't tell us the color of the curtains or carpets or anything like that. Instead, God gives us images, word pictures, that help us have, you could say, a, a feeling of what heaven would be like. For example, the Bible tells us that heaven is up, right? Now, you'd think that'd be obvious, but skeptics have attacked that for years. They've scoffed and asked, well, where exactly is heaven of yours? Is it uh, up there in the stratosphere somewhere? Is it in the outskirts of our solar system? Is it in some distant galaxy? Or where is it? Where is your heaven? Up. Huh. Back in the 60s, there was that Russian cosmonaut who went up into space, the first man in space, went around the Earth and came back. And when he got out of his little capsule, he said, there is no God. Well, someone heard about that, and they joked, well, if he'd stepped out of his spacesuit, he'd have seen God, wouldn't he? <laughs> now, I'm sure that's not the point, but I suspect God 
uses this idea of heaven being up as a kind of word picture to tell us about himself and about heaven. You see, up really isn't where God dwells anyway. He's everywhere. Solomon tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 6, But who is able to build a house for him? For the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain him. So who am I that I should build a house for him except to burn incense before him? Wisest man who ever lived, right? Solomon. And it was his task to build the temple, a place for God to dwell. But he, he recognized and understood God can't doesn't dwell in temples. I mean, come on. The heavens and the expanse can't even contain him. He knows. That's not where God really is. David noted in Psalm 139, verses 8 through 10, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shield, now that's below, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. God is everywhere. But the Bible still talks about God being up in heaven, right? Why would it do that? Why would it constantly tell us, you know, up, that heaven is up in heaven? Here's why. And I'm not going to get in all the verses where it says he's up, but there's a few out there. But I want you to see this, though. Here's a, here's a couple of verses I want you to consider. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. Psalm 14, verse 2. He looked down. If you're a military strategist, you know to have the upper ground, you've got the advantage. And when you're up high, you can see things. Whenever you're out traveling or hiking and you're trying to see where you're going, you might want to try to find a high point so you can get a better visual look of your surroundings, of the landscape. God is up, not literally, but he's up in the idea that he is able to see everything that's going on. He sees. He is in a position of authority and power. Deuteronomy 26, verse 15, Look down from your holy habitation from heaven, and bless your people Israel, and the ground which you have given us, a land flowing with milk and honey, as you swore to our fathers. This idea that God is looking down from heaven is there to help us to understand that God is in a position to see everything and to hear everything and to look down into our lives and to bless all of us. It doesn't really matter where heaven is exactly. All that matters is that we realize how high and powerful God is and how high and majestic our eternal life will be. And a lot of the imagery about heaven in Scripture, it's like, it's like that. They're word pictures. Revelation speaks of gates made of a single pearl and streets made of gold that are that, that, that's so pure you can see right through it. Now, I don't understand that. I, I suppose there could be a, a pearl that big, you could use it for a gate, and I mean, I, I've never even thought that gold could be so pure it would be transparent. But I'm convinced in my mind 
that these images were not meant to be taken literally. I'm convinced there are descriptions that God uses to impress us with the beauty and with the awesomeness of heaven. And I think God uses such imagery because there's nothing we've encountered on this earth that would prepare us for the splendor and the majesty of heaven. Now I have um, I have four sons. If you were if you're on my Facebook page and yesterday you looked on there, you would probably think I'm, I got a fifth one on the way. I, I posted that we have our fifth child coming, due date December 9th. April Fools, folks. That's an April Fools joke. I love April 1st. I like doing those little jokes like that. And I made the due date December 9th. That's when my mom was born, just to kind of get her a little extra there. That was fun. But I only got four kids. My oldest is six years old. Then there's Jonah. That's Joshua. Then there's Jonah. He's four. Jody, she's three. And little Julie, the newest addition, she is seven months. Well, it will be seven months here in a few days. So let's say that I wanted to take them to Disneyland. They've never been to Disneyland or Disney World or, or any major theme park ever. They've been to you know the Phoenix Zoo. They've been to the Wildlife Zoo. They've been to the aquarium and a few other uh, parks. To the what's it called McCormick Park or McConnell Park, the one with the train downtown. They've been to uh, several parks. But how if I was going to say Joshua we're, or Jonah and kids, we're all going to go to Disneyland? They probably go, oh yeah, Disney, woo, Mickey Mouse, right? We've seen the cartoons. All right, now how do I explain to them? what Disneyland is going to be, be about, what it's going to be like. Could I tell them, Disneyland is going to be like your birthday. Is that, is that a good picture to help them understand what Disneyland is going to be like? No. Disneyland is like uh, going to the, the park. No. The Phoenix Zoo? No. How do I explain to them with my words what it's going to be like? See, they've never seen or experienced anything like that as a child. So nothing would prepare them for the sights and the sounds and the experience that they're going to have at Disneyland. It is the same way with heaven. There is nothing, nothing we've ever seen or experienced here on earth that even begins to prepare us for what heaven will be like. Because heaven will be so different from anything we've ever experienced here on earth. I don't know exactly where heaven is, or exactly what it looks like, but I do know what will be there in heaven, and what won't be there in heaven. And that's, sometimes we never, we don't quite think about it that way. When we read it, we, we probably consider it. But sometimes we forget to, to realize what's not going to be in heaven. Revelation chapter 21, I want to read a couple of verses from here. Verse 4 tells us that he, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That sounds good. Verses 23 and following. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon, to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. 
its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose name are written in the Lamb's book of life. No death, no sorrow, no crying, pain, or people who will hurt us or make us feel threatened. Those, there's going to be a lot of things missing from heaven. Things that we experience here on earth that are frustrating and make life difficult and dangerous for us. One poet spoke of heaven like this. Now, I got this poem and some of many of my illustrations from a, a fellow online named Jeff. He, he did a good job. I just wanted to, forgot to point that out in the beginning, but he also got this from him. I'm not sure if he wrote this or he got it from someone else. I, I didn't say, but the poet spoke of heaven like this. <clears throat> no dust, no rust, no rats, no rot, no rankest rock, nor potent pot, no growing old with weakened sight, no dentures slipping when you bite, no bombs, no guns, no courts, no jails, where all succeed and no one fails, no strikes, no layoffs, full employment, and everyone with job enjoyment, all tell the truth, they state only facts, no wars, no debts, no income tax. According to this daydream, uh, according to this dream of mine, in heaven no one stands in line, and there are only smiling faces and lots and lots of parking places. <laughs> Perfect, right? I like that. That sounds good. Always got a parking space. I like his the way he projects that in his poetry. That's really good. But you know, that's that's the best we can do. We can only talk about the things that make us happy here on on Earth. So that's uh, but those are just some of the things that won't be there. But what will be in heaven? What can we what can we expect? Well, number one, there's going to be a lot a lot of singing and a lot of worshiping up there in heaven. Revelation tells us Revelation five thirteen. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. I've heard of people who read stuff like that in Revelation and they come to the conclusion that this worship and this singing is going to be boring. I said uh, to the congregation the other day, you know, if if you thought you my lessons were boring on Sunday morning, oh man, what's heaven going to be like? <laughs> it's just a joke. But I don't think it's talking about the way we do worship here. We do what we can in worship. We struggle. Do we? Do we struggle? Yeah. Are you ever tired, or sometimes maybe you're just not into the message, or the singing is just kind of, uh, it's not really getting you uh, excited. Well, you know, sometimes it's an immature thing. Sometimes you're having a rough day. It's just there are days like that, and so we read this and we're like, well, what does that mean? Well, let me help you with this. Have you ever gotten up in the morning? You turn on the radio. Maybe you're not a morning person, so it's in the afternoon. But the radio's on. It's playing the your favorite song. It's sunny. It's a beautiful day. It's the, the air smells fresh. The kids are acting nice and playing together. The dog won't bark. Everything's clean. The food tastes good. you got cookies 
bacon in the oven. It's a great day. You just like, man, yeah, what a great day. You just want to sing along with the song. You feel good. Have you ever had days like that? I have. I think that's what heaven is going to be like. That's the best in my mind. That's what it's going to be like every day. And when you're around people with that kind of joy, you just want to partake in it, don't you? I mean, you hear that kind of singing where everyone's like, yeah, let's sing. You want to join in. That's heaven. That's the worship in heaven. It won't be boring. Now, I've been to the Phoenix Zoo 20, 30, 40 times, and frankly, I don't really want to go back. But guess what? Uh, Friday, we're taking the kids to the zoo. They're excited. I am not excited about going back to the zoo. I've seen the lions. I've seen the tigers. I've seen everything there. I don't even need the map anymore. I know where everything's at. I don't need to look it up. I'm tired of going to the zoo. It's boring for me. Heaven won't be the same old stuff all the time. In heaven, every time you turn around, you'll practically run into something that's new and exciting. God says, Behold, I make all things new. And I think that's partly because He doesn't like boredom. He, he hates it as much as we do. And for God, it will be a priority to make sure heaven's not boring. It's not only not going to be boring, there's going to be a lot of famous people up there. Jesus tells us that we'll see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom. They'll come from east and west and from the north and the south and will recline at the table of the kingdom of God. We will get to see them. Adam and Eve, Noah, Moses, Joshua, David, the apostles, on and on and on. Imagine the stories they'll be able to tell us. I'd like to sit around and listen to Noah tell about building the ark and what it was like to be in it with all the animals and what all they did while they waited. I look forward to hearing Jonah explain to me how what it was like to be swallowed by a whale and then vomited out onto the beach, if he's willing to tell me about it. I think it's going to be awesome. And it would be awesome to be able to taste a bowl of manna. I'm curious to see the reruns of the stories of Scripture. be amazing. And you'll not only get to see famous people, you'll get to see people you've known here. People you've loved and cared for who've lived here on earth. When Jesus took Peter, James, and John on that mountain of transfiguration, remember they saw Elijah and Moses, and Peter knew who they were. He knew, whether that was divine or, or what not. I think we'll know who these people are. And I don't think, I used to think that God would just put everything in our mind that we need to know, but I, I really start to, I think maybe God knows how fun it is to learn things. And to interact and hear the story for the first time. And we'll get to do that. How amazing, how awesome that will be. And even though we'll have different bodies, we'll know one another. But there's one more thing we'll see in heaven. And that one more thing will make all the wonders and glory of heaven seem to pale in comparison. And now one more thing that will be even more important to us than family and friends and, and meeting all those famous people. Well, well, Job Job said it like this in Job 19, 25-27. He said, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will take his stand on the earth. 
Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. We'll see Jesus. There's a story told in the days when doctors would visit their patients at their home. Uh, that there was a patient who, who wasn't going to live long, and he was there visiting with them. He, the doctor had brought his dog, but let them out in the car. The dog never, he usually doesn't bring his dog. And he was there, he let them out in the, the car. And the doctor was in there, checked up on him, he turned to go away. And he was at the door when the patient said out loud, Doctor, I'm afraid to die. Can you tell me what lies on the other side? The doctor was very quiet for a moment, and then he said, I don't know. And at that moment, he heard some scratching on the other side of the door. He knew it was his dog. dog got out of the car, come up to the door. And he said, you know, do you hear that scratching on the other side of your door here? That's my dog. And I bet you when I open this door, he'll be excited to see me. He has never been here before. He doesn't know what's on the other side of that door. He has no clue, completely clues of anything and what dangers could possibly be over here. But he knows, he knows that I am here. And despite whatever it might be on the other side, he's not afraid because he knows I'm here. And the doctor opened the door and the dog leaped in, jumped up, you know, trying to lick him on the face. Happy, so happy to see his master. Unconcerned about anything else. And the doctor said, that is what's putting you on the other side. I know very little of what is on the other side of death. But I do know one thing. I know my master is there. And that is enough. And when the door opens, I'll pass through with no fear, but with gladness. And I hope you can too. But you can only do that if you know Christ and He knows you. If you abide in Him and He abides in you. I know a lot of folks don't think baptism is a necessity for salvation. Well, let me tell you, the water doesn't save you. But obeying God, having an obedient faith, does. What saves us is that God says, I'm going to give you a gift, but I want you to do this. The gift is yours. You're not earning it, but you better do what I say. Don't come to my banquet, to my wedding feast, in the improper clothing. Take those old clothes off. Wash yourself clean. Put on my Son, the Christ. Think about those things. Think about heaven. Think about our Lord and Savior on the other side of that door. Thank you for spending your time here with me today. Have a blessed day. Sending up to sweep away till she'll dawn the better day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.